Our scripture reading today is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 4 through 14. We're not done with Acts. We will get back to it. But today, I wanted us to take, to take stock of um, the Isaiah, or the Jeremiah's, uh, the prophet, one of these great prophets who um, wrote some words to us that really have a lot of meaning for where we are uh, in our world today, and especially in our country. And I've entitled this message, Homesick for the Country We Once Had. Would you please stand with me as we read Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4 through 14. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them, so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams, because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you today a very critical time in our nation. We have concerns. We think about the future and we wonder what will happen. And Lord, we desperately need a word for you. We need guidance. We pray that your word would speak to us today that would give us the hope for the future that would give us the direction that we need. May we be your people. May we honor you in all that we do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Looking forward or looking to get past November 8th, as the case may be. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But I want us to move ahead to another big event this week on November the 11th. You may or may not be aware, but it's a major event. 
That is Nintendo bringing out the 30th anniversary. It's retro Nintendo Entertainment System from the 1980s. And they are massively pushing these things. If you haven't seen it yet, you will soon. All of the uh, advertising they're doing, I, I just love it. Neon colors, girls in leg warmers, guys wearing acid wash denim jackets. It's fantastic. They are appealing to all of these things from the past. And uh, in fact, they're even uh, sponsoring at their New York store a breakdancing competition to bring back the 1980s. And, and even for three short days, they're bringing back the Nintendo hotline. Now, uh, if you're under 25, I need to give you a very scary lesson about history. In the dark ages, before Google and Siri, there was no one you could just ask questions to and get things responded to instantly. And so if you wanted to, you couldn't say, okay, Google or Siri, uh, tell me how to defeat Bowser and rescue Princess Peach. You couldn't do that. And so you had to call, hopefully with your parents' permission, because it was like 95 cents a minute, a Nintendo hotline where a game counselor would get on the line and tell you how to get past uh, that level. I know that's, that's scary, but you know, it's okay. We, we have Google now. But these days, uh, they're bringing back all this stuff. Now, why is Nintendo doing this? Well, they're going to make a ton of money. <laughs> we know that, that everybody's going to go out and buy this thing for 60 bucks, and, you know, you may play it twice, but it's going to remi remind you of these happier days, these times when you weren't worrying about all the stuff that you're worrying about today. Why do we love that so much? Why do we like to go back to the past so much? Because the present and the future are scary. Because they are uncertain. We look back on the past and, and not only do we know how it was, we actually, we, we can decode it, right? We have those rose-colored glasses and in the past everything looks good and it's settled and we remember what we want to remember about it. But our future is a little less certain. Jeremiah wrote to a group of people who were having trouble with the very same issue of looking back to the past. And for them, it wasn't the 1980s. It was a time that they had when they were still living at home in what was the promised land for them. And if you'd have gone back to that time and asked them how everything was, they'd have given you lots of complaints and lots of worries and lots of fears. But now that they got to this place, once they'd been exiled to the nation of Babylon, all of a sudden, those were the glory days. And they were living life looking back at the past. And they really weren't doing much of anything but just being caught up in despair and depression and doubt where they were in their new home in Babylon. And so Jeremiah said some things to them that meant a lot to them and can mean a lot to us today. Keep us from sitting around being homesick for the past and help us to look forward to the future. When we find ourselves in tough situations, what do we do? The first thing you and I need to do, just like those Israelites needed to do, was we need to confess the sin that got us into the mess we're in today. Sin's not a very popular word. You don't hear that much. We'd rather talk about self-actualization or realization and, and meeting all of our potential. We'd love to talk about those type of things. But the reality is 
that sin has meaning still today as much as we would like to ignore it. We've heard all the talk about the candidates we have as we look at the major ones, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And many people have agreed and said, these are the two worst candidates we have ever had. We've never seen anything this bad before. We've had one bad choice or one bad choice, but two terrible, awful, no good, very bad choices. And we like to pretend that they came out of nowhere. Like, you know, what in the world? Here we are with with people, with a man and a woman who have this kind of moral values and this kind of behavior, like it's a surprise. But the reality is, is that Trump and Clinton are reflections of our society. They are a mirror that we really don't want to look at. We'd like to think that this is a, um, you know, one of those funny mirrors in the fair that shows a distorted picture, but the reality is I think that mirror is very clear. We look into the candidates and we see what our country has become. We see what our values are. And you and I need to confess, not only personally and individually our own sins, but we need to come before God and confess the sins of our nation. That's something we don't, it doesn't come natural to us in the Western world where we're built on individualism and we say, I'm not responsible for anybody else and nobody's responsible for me. But the reality is that we are connected. And all throughout Scripture, in New Testament and Old, you will see God's men and God's women calling out and confessing not only their own sins, but the sins of their people. We have to own up to the fact that we are a part. We cannot look down at society and say, oh, they're the ones. We're a part of this. We've created this. And we need to come before God and say, God, we are wrong. We have sinned against you. We have compromised our values. We we have taken the Bible like it's a buffet, and we pull out the parts that we like, the things that make us feel good and reassure us and encourage us, and the things we don't like that tell us about things that we're not doing right or the things we should be doing that we aren't. We just kind of ignore those. And God's Word is not a buffet to pick and choose. His Word has called to us very clearly about how we are to live. You and I are to call upon God. Jeremiah told those folks, if you seek me, you will find me. They had an idea in their heads that maybe they were too far gone. Maybe there was no riding the ship. Maybe there was no help or hope or salvation. And Jeremiah says, you will find me if you will seek me, says the Lord. If you really look for me with all your heart, you will find me. And we need to come and restore and return our hearts back to the Lord. Secondly, you and I need to ignore the quick fixes. Ignore the quick fixes that are promised to us. I love how he describes these prophets. Jeremiah goes ahead and says, there's going to be some fortune tellers, some 
soothsayers. There are going to be some false prophets. And they're all going to go out there because they want your money, because they want your acclaim, because they want to be like. And they're going to say, hey, guess what? This thing is not going to last long at all. It's no big deal. Yeah, we sinned, but, you know, we're going to be out of here in a flash. It's all going to be fixed in an instant. And Jeremiah said they're false prophets. They're lying tongues. They're telling you what you want to hear, but don't listen to them. You see, God already told them ahead of time. He said, look, and, and, and by the way, this is after literally hundreds of years of saying, get right, get right, get right. Come back to me. And finally, God said, okay, judgment time is here. And you guys are going to be in Babylon for 70 years. And, um, you know, don't think that all of a sudden the consequences are going to go away. You see, our sins have consequences. When we are forgiven, that restores a relationship between us and God. It does not, however, take away the consequences of our behavior. If I'm a Christian, I go out, or let's say I'm, I'm not a Christian. I go out and commit a crime. I go to prison for that crime, and then I become a Christian. That's wonderful. But all of a sudden, my prison sentence doesn't go away. If I commit a sin, and I break a relationship, and... and then I ask for forgiveness. I've done the right thing, but that relationship may or may not be instantly restored. It may not ever be what it was again. Our actions have consequences. And while we can always call on God for forgiveness and redemption, and he will restore our relationship with him, it does not mean that everything's going to all of a sudden go back to the way it was or the way we remember it being. You see, there are people today who would like to say, vote for me, for this person, for this party, for this movement. And if you just do these things, if you vote this way or talk this way or think this way, all of a sudden everything's going to be instantly fixed and it's all going to be better. But salvation does not come in a politician or a party. Salvation comes from the Lord. And he restores us in his timing and in his way. And so don't get caught up in thinking, oh, if I just do this, if I vote for this person, if I just do this one thing, it's all going to be better. The reality is coming to grips with the fact that what we've already said, it's taken a while to get us to where we are now as a nation. And that's not going to go away all of a sudden. But we need to look to the Lord. Uh, we need to lean on him, no matter what we're going through. Third, you and I need to let our light shine brightly. Confess our sin, ignore those quick fixes. Well, what do we do? If we're going to live in the consequences, if we're stuck in Babylon, exiled, if life isn't going to be, our country isn't going to be the way we imagined it to be, the, it was or that it should be, how in the world are we going to live? And that's a great question because, you know, everybody I see, I've got friends from, from many, many years, all the way from, you know, back in high school. And, and so I've got friends who are Republicans, who are Democrats. And it's interesting, you see, they post, if, we, if this person gets elected, we're doomed. And then I look at another page, well, if this person gets elected, we're doomed. And, and 
all of us, we're talking about doom and gloom, and, and we're acting as if the right person doesn't get elected if there is a right person this time. If that right person doesn't get elected, then all of a sudden we're doomed, and, and there's basically life's over. That's how we act. That's how our society uh, acts. You know, we're tempted when our world is so crazy, turned upside down, we're tempted to withdraw to ourselves. Uh, we're, we're tempted to just fly under the radar and barely get by and, 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 you know, just exist. And we become paralyzed by fear. How many times do you hear people say, I'm, not ju- I'm just not sure if I can bring kids into this world that we live into today? And the funny thing is, even though we're supposedly just now on the edge of doom, people have been saying that as long as I can remember. (laughs) You know, those 80s that we look back on, those 70s or whatever our favorite decade is, and we look back on and say that was a great decade, I guarantee you could go back and people were saying then, I don't know if I can bring children into this world with the way it's become. And that same thing's repeated and repeated, and we just think that the world has gotten to such a terrible place that we just basically need to give up on life, you know, just get by the best we can. And that's exactly the opposite of the advice that Jeremiah gave to God's people who were living in Babylon. Listen to what he said in verse 5. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat, f- eat the food that they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you might have grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I send you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. For its welfare, welfare will determine your welfare. God says, right where you're planted is where you're supposed to bloom. I've put you in this time and this place to be my servant, to shine out the truth of the gospel in your life before a watching world. We're not to hide that light. Uh, We're not to let it grow dim, but we're to let it uh, burn brightly. You and I are called to live out the gospel in the world around us. In our careers, in our communities, in our churches, we are to be those who build the society around us. Some of us get this idea that society is out there and we're the church and we should kind of ignore it. And the Bible says the opposite, that we should be influencers of society. Yes, we live in a world that is tainted by sin, even our own sin. But yet, we should not stop trying to influence the world around us for goodness and righteousness. We should pray for our communities. We should build up our communities. We should be a part of them. All these politicians that we complain about, maybe we as Christians need to step up and say, I will be able, I I will put myself out there. And it starts on a local level. If it's for supervisor or school board or whatever else, that we involve ourselves in our communities and we say I'm going to make this a better place to live it's maybe not the place I wanted to be it's maybe not the place I remembered it once was but this is where God has planted me this is where he has called me to live I will raise a family I will go out and do whatever I need to do to make this country this community 
eternity a better place. And I won't be discouraged by all the wrong that's going around. I'll just do what right I can do. And that's what God has called us to do. To bless those around us. To build up our communities and our states and our country. Fourth and final. You and I need to put our hope in a better country. Saying, Brother Tim, are you talking about Canada? Are you one of those people that's going to drive north if the wrong person gets elected? Absolutely not. I don't believe there is a better country, physically speaking, in this world. Not that I know of. Certainly not another one I want to go to. But the Bible talks about a better community in the book of Hebrews. It's a different sort of country. He talks about the saints in Hebrews chapter 13 excuse me, chapter 11, about all those great saints, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he says in verse 13 of Hebrews 11, all those people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. If you're a believer here today, you're part of God's kingdom. You've been called to grow that kingdom, to spread it, to share his name and his in the community, the workplace, all those things that are around you, every place you come into contact with. But we do that not because we are under the illusion that our efforts will one day make this world perfect, but because we are gripped and held by a higher hope that says we have a better country. We have a heavenly country. We have a place that we look forward to in which all injustices will be righted and all wrongs corrected. We have a place called heaven. And it is that hope that we look forward to that grounds us and gives us faith and hope to move forward in the reality which we live in today. As believers, we should never be without hope. And what God has planned for us. I got a lesson in hope this week from a most unlikely place. A Mississippi State football game. (laughs) You may notice the glow that I have, especially on this side. The sun was beating down on me. I didn't put on any sunscreen as pale as I am. Because I honestly thought I would not be at this game long. The reality was, I'm going to go, I'm going to show up. Uh, they might do something, but pretty soon they're going to mess it up the way State always does, and especially this year, we're having a bad year, and I thought, I'm going to be out of here by halftime. I don't need any sunscreen. (laughs) I don't have to worry about this. But boy, was I surprised. Was I shocked. But then I kept saying to myself, yeah, they're getting my hopes up. They're going to throw it all away. It's it's, it's all going to be messed up. It's going to be gone. I didn't believe, right? I didn't believe. 
Even when Don't Stop Believing came on, I still didn't believe. I thought, no, this is, I'm not getting my hopes up, only to get them dashed. We have a hard time in life, right? Because uh, things can let us down. But it's interesting how easily we become skeptical. How easily we shield ourselves so much because we don't want to get upset. Or in real life, things more important than ball games. We don't want to experience real pain again. But it's our everlasting hope in a God who never lets us down. A God who's always there for us. We're reminded that we always have hope. We always have something to look forward to. No matter what the present circumstances in our life look like today. Are we homesick for a country once new? Or are we, in the words of the song Beulah Land, kind of homesick for a place that we've never been before? God has called us to live for him in the country we're in now, to vote, to make decisions the best we can by Christian principles. But the reality is that our hope and our faith is not placed in a politician. It's placed in Jesus Christ who said that he has built a place for us. When we come to him one day, that's our better country, and that is what our hope is grounded on. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you, and uh, Lord, we do pray for our country. Father, we confess that as a nation... God, we have turned away from you. Father, we live in a place where wrongs are often declared right. We live in a place where injustice often prevails. When money and power pushes aside those who are weak or in poverty. For those who cannot defend themselves. Father, we live in a place where even your name is wrongly used in many circumstances. God, our country has sinned. And we come before you today calling upon that amazing grace that we sang upon, about. Father, knowing that it is only by your grace that we may be saved, that we may be renewed and restored. And God, here today, even as we pray for our nation, Father, I pray more intensely for this small group of people who's gathered here today that, worried, that rather than worry about everyone else and point out everybody else is wrong and what we think they're doing wrong and getting in their business, Father, that we'd get in our own business. Better yet, we would allow the Holy Spirit to get in our business because it's really your business. We belong to you. And God, we pray that you would change us from the inside out. God, that you would make us more like Jesus, that our light may shine before men and they may glorify their Father in heaven. Bless this invitation time now, Father. God, help us to respond to you in renewed commitment and faith and repentance for where we failed you. 
Let us have hope. And let us trust in your good plans for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.